Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, it's all about near-death experience stories. Oh boy, you're in for a good one. We welcome Leslie Joan Lupo to the show today, who had a profound NDE, or near-death experience, after being trampled by a stampede of horses. Her description of the heavenly realm is one to hear about. She also wrote the book, Remember, Every Breath is Precious. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. Um, you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, you can find out more about me, connect with me through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And just a couple of quick housekeeping um, issues to let you know about. Um, so during this time of uh, many of us still staying at home, staying in place, um, I have put together some free offerings and uh, we have been doing the Soul Digger Book Club now for a little over a month. Um, we are in our second week of exploring Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, I have found his wisdom incredibly timely and timeless for these times that we're in. Um, you don't have to have read the book. You can show up in your PJs because we're virtual and uh, it's pretty casual, but it's a great way if you're having a hard time right now to um, get some perspective and help make some meaning, find some purpose in everything and come together with some like-minded or like-hearted souls. Uh, so the other offering that I have is um, twice a week, I'm offering shut up and soul sessions. And these are just sessions. Um, we usually do these in my soul digger community, but um, a couple of people requested that I add a few more to the calendar and I'm opening them up to anybody who wants to join. They're free. And basically we just come together uh, virtually through Zoom. I do a little reading or a little meditation, something inspiring at the top of the hour. And then we all go on mute and we do our respective spiritual practices, um, writing or sitting in nature, a walk. Um, I do a lot of reading, whatever it is that you need to uplift your soul and want a little bit of container and accountability for. Those are, um, let's see, so book club meets on Saturdays at 10 a.m., and those Shut Up and Soul sessions are Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, on Tuesday, we meet at 8 a.m. Pacific. And on Thursdays, we meet at 12 p.m. Pacific. You can find all of these events and more on my website, goldenoversoul.com. Um, so, Benny, let's do a quick check-in. How, how are things going holding up the fort or holding down the fort? Holding up, up holding down, <laughs> holding all of them. Holding I mean, all of the things. Yeah, right. Oh, doing pretty good. Just hanging out there. I did want to funnel back. You posted, uh, I believe, last week. Uh, Chase made you something uh, specific. Oh, yeah. They looked delicious. I think you're now becoming maybe a food blogger on the side, like as far as what's gone. How were the delicious? They look like yes, again, bacon jalapeno deviled eggs. Oh, they were fantastic. Oh, of this course is one they of the are. benefits. He, so Chase is currently furloughed. I think I've mentioned that on the show before. Um, he works for a fantastic company, and they've really tightened things up mm -hmm. to be able to keep things mm -hmm. going. Um, so he's currently furloughed. And as a former, I guess he's been a cook. He's been he's worked in food service his whole life. We'll just say that in the food industry, whether it's in the the wholesale side of things or in the kitchen side of things, and so. He, getting a little bit of restless for some reason, has felt called back into the kitchen. He has avoided it for a long time. So I am I am the lovely recipient, given that it's just the two of us, <laughs> for I, all of his kitchen creations. I think you might need to prop up a couple cameras and do some uh, studio. We make a little kitchen studio there and start, start getting uh, throwing them out there. Yeah, he's been perfecting his recipes. So anyway, yeah, that's funny. So I thought I was like, well, Chase's boredom is my benefit. So I, I, think, <laughs> anyway. I, think, I think you two would make a great show. 
We'll see, Benny. But anyway, how are your boys doing? They're good. They're good. Uh, we've been, uh, let's see, last week we've been doing a little bit of stuff outside in the backyard and stuff like that. Um, I told you the week before I built a fire pit, so that's been really nice. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We were able to uh, launch the first uh, set of uh, hot dogs on the grill. Nice. <laughs> Cook those bad boys, followed by some s'mores. You know, it obviously goes uh, hand in hand. And mm-hmm. um, then we got some Nerf guns. So we have a lot of uh, wars in the backyard. <laughs> A, nice. lot, a lot of, hey, uh, can we jump over the fence and get the missing darts? Yes, that's <laughs> happened quite a few times, and I've already made a couple um, purchases at Amazon to refill <laughs> the lost ones because I think right. we kind of figured we don't really want to go to the neighbor's yards right now just right. because so they can have them. They'll return them at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's yeah. Awesome. Everyone else is doing doing okay. We're doing a lot of online schooling still. A lot of the schools in the Washington State area are uh, doing that. So, yeah. um, keep it up, kids. Keep that head up. I know it's it's going to be uh, you know a long summer, so to speak, yeah. really. But yeah, we're doing good. Well, I'm glad to hear yeah. that, Benny. Um, we miss you and uh, stay oh, yeah. well and stay safe up there. We are back at you. Virtual hug. Virtual hug. Yeah, yeah. Virtual hug. <laughs> I feel it. Yeah. Oh well. For an uplifting topic for today, I think everybody can use this, and I'm so excited. Um, One of our regular listeners, a dear friend of ours um, here in the Bay Area, happened to uh, spend some time at Canyon Ranch. It's a place she goes periodically, and she came back and told me about a woman named Leslie Joan Lupo, who was our guest today, and said uh, she had a near-death experience that I needed to check out and potentially reach out for her to be on the show. And I did all those things, and here she is today. And uh, it's one of the most compelling near-death experience stories I've come across. Um, each near-death experience uh, individual that I've interviewed or story that I have read, they all have their similar themes, um, and there are also these unique elements to the story that make them really special. And one of the reasons I was attracted to Leslie's story is because she provides such a thorough, extensive description of her time in what she called upstairs, um, the heavenly realms. So she calls that upstairs. And it's a really, she spent a lot of time there talking to members of her soul group and other light beings and got a lot of information about uh, our soul journey as humans here on earth. And I think it it's really helpful and it is incredibly uplifting and Um, just really compelling. So um, just to give you a little background before we welcome Leslie on, uh, she was born in Chicago and raised in a boisterous, tight-knit family. She's got a BA in psychology and a BFA in studio art. And for nearly 10 years, Leslie was the vice president of operations at Tanque Verde Guest Ranch. After a stampede of horses nearly killed her, she experienced a profound near-death experience resulting in her inspiring and poignant new book, Remember, Every Breath is Precious. We'll be discussing that book here today. Her book offers a unique glance into the afterlife and invites the reader to venture beyond everyday life into understanding the undying reality of their soul. The book has been endorsed by Dr. Pim Pim Van Lommel, Dean Radin, Raymond Moody, Ken Ring, Irvin Laszlo, Bruce Grayson, Suzanne Giesman, and Gary Schwartz, many of whom have been on the show before, um, guests that are very well respected and loved. Um, and they all really um, endorsed Leslie's story. For the last 22 years, Leslie has been a highly sought after intuitive therapist at the famed Canyon Ranch Resort in Arizona. And for three of those years, she's been the spiritual programs coordinator. She is also a certified NLP or neuro linguistic programming therapist and a Reiki master. And her client base includes Hollywood celebrities, politicians, royalty, and business leaders from all over the world. She serves on the steering committee of the Tucson International Association for Near Death studies. She guest lectures in the psychology of religion and spirituality class at the University of Arizona and teaches a bi-weekly workshop at Canyon Ranch called The Science of Near-Death Experiences. This is one of my favorite parts of her uh, resume. She happily practices detachment, win or lose, by watching her favorite Chicago sports teams. And she resides now in Tucson, Arizona. Leslie Joan Lupo, welcome to sunny in Seattle. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. 
Yes. Well, um, I, I wanted to start, um, as I mentioned, you know, your story is really set apart um, by your comprehensive description of what you call upstairs. Um, and I want to dive deeply into that. I think that's really a lot of the, the most delicious part of the book. But before we go there, I'm always curious about a guest's background. And you, it sounds like, have a pretty deep intuitive gift, but there were points when you were younger where you, quote, turned your light off um, and, and some people, some intuitives picked up on that. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, this, uh, your tight knit family in Chicago growing up, what your intuitive landscape was like, why you turned your light off, and then we can talk more about how you turn the light back on after your near-death experience. Well, in, in my family, I, when I was very, very young, I could see these light beings around us occasionally. And as I learned, no one else could see them. And you would get teased about it, so I just stopped sharing it with people because I knew I could see them, I knew they were there, and yet no one else could. And that made me feel, you know, I was very young, I was five, six, seven, that made me feel awkward and out of place, you know, like there was something wrong with me. So I stopped sharing it. Then I witnessed a car accident in my third eye, in my mind, right before it happened, like five minutes, and I thought I had caused it. So mm. that's when I first just, it was almost like I had this inner light, inner vision that I just shut down. It was like I just said no, and I you can just close yourself off to anything that comes from spirit, and that's driven by fear. Then I went to college, and I kept having all these medicine people coming up, or a Wiccan high priestess or a shaman, and everyone would say to me, why do you have your light turned off? And started to work with them. And then my fiancé died, and I didn't foresee it, you know, air quotes. So yeah. I threw it back and went back into science and thought it was just all power suggestion. Because in psychology, we understand the placebo effect and the power suggestion. And I kept thinking it wasn't real. And at the time I had my near-death experience, I was borderline atheist, which yeah. is why I came to call heaven upstairs, because when I first came back, I knew I couldn't be an atheist anymore, but I didn't know who I could be. Right. And I had to restructure my whole life and my whole philosophy towards life. And that's why I called it upstairs, because I still was, kind of anti-religions um, at the time. And I had to kind of make peace with that part of my skeptical scientific mind and my inner, uh, you know, faith. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to back up, actually, Leslie, because one of the things that I thought was so endearing um, in reading the book, you had one grandparent, your Nana, who... And there was a particular light light being that you called the blue lady. The blue and lady, yeah. Yeah, your Nana saw her too. And yeah, do you... she, she did. She was singing to me, and then she would look up like she was looking past me. And when she was singing these little songs while we were waiting, we were baking, and we were waiting for the cookies. And I turned around, and, you know, there's a woman who was as tall as the ceiling standing behind me. And I didn't think anything of it because Nona was singing to her and me. And then the dinger went off and I turned to, like, in, you know, expecting this lady to walk in, uh, the blue lady to walk in the kitchen, and she was gone. I'm so sorry. I accidentally muted myself. My apologies. I went to say something. And I was like, oh my gosh, I accidentally hit mute. My apologies, Leslie. No problem. Um, I thought I got disconnected. No, no. I'm so sorry. Yeah, the joys of live radio. And also while we're talking about it, I think, Leslie, we've heard some beeping. And I think maybe if your cheek is against your keypad or your your the, the number pad on your phone, it might be doing a little bit of beeping. Um, I don't... Because uh, oh. I hope it's that. not swearing. Cause we're... <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh. I'm sorry. I have it on a headset, and oh. the telephone 
hand itself is sitting on a cushion oh, next well. to me. I'm not even touching it. Okay. Oh my God. This is, you know, it's so funny. Sometimes days. when it is, and it's yeah. funny, Leslie, when I have interviewed certain folks who are very strong intuitives or really just beautiful spiritual teachers who have a very high vibration, things like this happen. <laughs> so I assume this okay. has something. <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, yeah. So, and it's it, the reason that I brought that up. Well, number one is because when you had your near-death experience and you were in the upstairs, or when you, when you were upstairs, you encountered many, many years later many of the same light beings that you used to see when you were little. And I'm, I'm just curious. Did you ever talk to your grandmother? Did you ever have a conversation about the the, the shared experience that you have, or did she pass away before you ever had that kind well, of a conversation? Well, Nona was my great grandmother. Oh, and okay. She was from Sicily, and she only spoke Sicilian, so oh. we never talked. When she would sing to me, she would always sing little ditties, in you know, little children sounding songs, and touch my nose and pinch my cheeks while we were waiting for the the cookies or whatever, when I was visiting. But no, we could never have discussed it. And then my grandmother, my mother's mother, when I had the experience with the blue lady with her, couldn't see her at all. And that was the first time I was a little scared because she took me in and put water on my forehead and you know made me wear a hat because I thought she thought I was having a mild case of sunstroke or something. Because I was insisting that there was someone in the yard with us, and yeah. she she couldn't see it. Yeah, and it's I I this is um, I've heard many of the people that I've interviewed talk about this and how important it is, especially now that we have it. This was many years ago that you had this experience. In fact, your near death experience was in 1988, before the word near death experience was uh, a mainstream word that we could talk about. And yeah. and so, yeah, for children who are entering the world today to be able to, instead of shutting them down, encourage and be curious, ask questions about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, so that they don't feel like they have to turn their light off as you did um, and, you know, re then reconnect with it so many years later. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Leslie, let's then let's dive in here. So at this point, you in, in your adult life, um, you had lost your fiance um, at, at age 21. You were really questioning things. You were categorizing yourself more as an atheist. So then you go on and you have been um, working. Um, you were um, married to um, and have family at the Tonke Verde Guest Ranch. You've been working with horses. Tell us what happened uh, for the, this, the stampede of horses that then resulted in the severe injury in your near-death experience. Well, we were unsaddling the horses after a ride, and we were waiting for the, the fast ride to come in at 3 o'clock, and two of the horses slipped down to the hay barn with their saddles on. And so I looked at the clock, and it was 10 to 3, and I told the guys, I'll go get them, and grabbed a couple halters and walked down. And they were standing side by side in this massive wall of horses that are now, end of the day, chowing down and not budging. And I'm trying, I tried, I was excited at first thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. I'll just slide between the two of them, put the halters on, bring them back. But what I didn't take into account was the saddle, the leather. I couldn't slide past it. It wasn't just the hair of the horse. And I kept trying to wiggle through. I turned around. I grabbed the backs of the saddles because I had only gotten up as far as the stirrups, and everything was just blocking me. I thought maybe I could just push myself backwards through that blockade of leather. And all of a sudden, I popped out of my body. And at that time, I would have said it was my mind that popped out of my body and stood watching a 15, 20 feet away. And I was so shocked, I couldn't even think of words. Like, I couldn't even think of, like, what's going on, what's happening, why, why am I here? You know, I, I couldn't even think like that. And within maybe 10 seconds, one of the horses to my left screeched, and they all kind of broke all around me and started to stampede. Well, I was backwards, and when I got hit 
by one of the horses. I spun around. My arm went in the stirrups all the way up to my shoulder. Mm. And the horse is dragging me along, and I'm trying to keep on my feet, screaming at the top of my lungs to for help because I, I apparently, I would have, if I'd fallen, I would have been under their hooves. And the horse hit me with his head and was trying to shoulder me off because I'm dead weight to him. Yeah. And finally he just slammed me into the side of the hay barn, concrete and metal. And I fell like a, flopped away like a bag of potatoes. Now the interesting mm-hmm. thing is I'm watching all this, and yet I felt none of the panic or fear or pain that my body was going through. If there had been someone there, uh, there was no one in the yard. If there had been someone there, they would have said, oh, my gosh, she suffered horribly. And yet I only felt serenity. I felt like like a sigh, like, oh, okay, this is, you know, the end of the journey. It was like the completion of a circle. And I was at peace with it. And I just had this amazing sense of love and watching my body go through what it was going through. And then I remember thinking, I wonder if everyone goes through this separation when the body is, it's like just taking off a jacket and throwing it on your bed at the end of a long day. And then I started giggling. Once the dust settled, I saw my body. I knew I was dead. There was no thing of like, maybe I'm unconscious. Maybe this is a dream. I knew what was going on. I was standing looking at my body in a very ultra-real setting. And I started to giggle, and I thought, this is it? This is what everyone's so afraid of? I'm still here. I'm still thinking. First thoughts that came into my mind when everything was, you know, settled. And I looked to see if I was a ghost. I wasn't. I went, oh, I thought I'd be see-through or something. And I wasn't, but I had this little tiny, tiny blue line on the edging of my belt all the way around. And I was wearing what I was wearing on the ground. Yes. And then at that point, oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, I was just pausing because I wanted to know if you wanted me to go on or did you add another oh. question? Oh, no, sure, sure. Please keep going. No, this is great. I do have some follow-up questions. I the One of the things that really you your experience of the soul or the spirit leaving the body before the physical trauma to the human right. form that is yeah. something that I've heard before and brings me so much peace because I think as humans, we fear so much the physical pain, the discomfort, the what what's coming. And, and you are not the first person who I've heard this from. Um, and so I, I just really wanted to reemphasize that point that is that now that on the other side of this experience, especially given your conversations with the light beings in your soul group upstairs that we can all really depend on that we don't have to suffer. No, and I can tell you a real quick little story. There's a lady who had come into my lecture at Kenyon Ranch, and she comes, you know, people come back every year, and she came back, and she came up to me right before the um, lecture, and she started to cry happy tears. Mm. And she took my hands, and she said to me that four months after the lecture, her mom had a really bad stroke and was not going to recover, and so she sat with her mother until she died, you know, took a day and a half. But, and her mother's body was twitching. They had given her whatever painkillers, but her mother was still twitching and moaning. And all of a sudden, she remembered that, and she said to her mom, um, I know this isn't you, and I know you don't feel this. I know you're dancing around the room or watching this, but you're not feeling it. And immediately, she had big curls on her head. Her, she feels the back of her head be muffed. And that was her mother's thing. She always must with her curls. She mm. got the curly hair from her dad, and her mom had straight hair. And so she'd always play with the curls and say, I want curls. I want curls like yours. And immediately she felt that. And then she looked around. There's no vent here. Okay. Then she said out loud, she said, okay, Mom, I guess that was you. And it happened again. And she came in, and by the time she finished, we were both crying. Happy tears, you know. Just the joy of knowing that, you help someone, you know, you help someone to understand that um, you're not the body, you're the spirit inside the body. Your consciousness, your awareness is in your 
immortal soul, not in your physical body. Yeah. And it just, it seems, it seems such a beautiful design that it is with so much grace that we don't have to um, fear suffering in the human body when we experience a physical trauma that results in death or a near-death experience. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a beautiful design. The body um, hurts and the body <laughs> screams, but you don't feel a thing because you're almost like giggling, going, gosh, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at the time and I feel like this might be a good pause and we can pick up the story after the break. Vinny, does that work for you? I know we're going a little bit earlier than 930. That's but... fine. Totally cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we'll take this as our, as our pause break. Um, I am joined today by uh, near-death experiencer and author Leslie Joan Lupo. Um, you can find out more by going to her website, lesliejoanlupo.com. And uh, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. And when we come back from our break, we will continue the rest of her near-death experience story and what she learned while upstairs. We'll be back in a few. Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that the greatest gifts and synchronicities of my life happened when I started listening to the voice of my soul and let it take the lead. But in a crazy culture and a chaotic world, it can often be difficult to hear that soul voice. And we forget just how powerful that spiritual being inside you really is, which is why I created Soul Digger, a membership community for women and those who identify as women who want to live a soul-driven life. We meet virtually to learn, connect, share, grow, and inspire one another on our spiritual journey. Find out more at my website, goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And click on the tab that says, Work With Me. So come get shamelessly spiritual with us in the Soul Digger community, where we mine the true gold that comes from your soul. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. As the climate warms, sea levels are rising, tropical storms are intensifying, and ocean waters are growing more acidic. These changes to the oceans have major impacts for people on land, from flooded coastal communities to losses for the fishing industry. David Helvarg is executive director of Blue Frontier, an ocean and coastal conservation nonprofit. Hundreds of millions of people and tens of billions of dollars are at risk if we don't start to address what we're seeing in terms of the impacts of fossil fuel-driven climate change on our coasts and oceans. But he says the ocean is often overlooked in climate policy discussions. So Helvard's group is lobbying for what some refer to as a Blue New Deal, a comprehensive set of policies and programs to protect ocean health and help coastal communities adapt to climate change. For example... They want to see policies that reform the National Flood Insurance Program and protect critical fish habitat. They also advocate for restoring coastal ecosystems that can naturally buffer storm waves. Hilvard says prioritizing oceans and coastlines can save lives, strengthen the economy, and restore a healthy and vital ocean that so many of us grew up with. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. We all make promises, big and small. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I do solemnly swear to help you when you're in need. To be considerate and caring. To be your loving, faithful friend. Partner. Child. Parent. Neighbor. One of our most important commitments is to support our nation's veterans. Learn how you can help a veteran going through a difficult time by visiting maketheconnection.net. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by near-death experiencer and author uh, Leslie Joan Lupo. And I just want to clarify, um, Leslie's name is spelled L-E-S-L-E-Y. So if you go to her website, Leslie Joan Lupo, make sure you spell Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y. So Leslie, we were having such a good conversation over the break, but I also want to, for folks to hear the rest of your near-death, the the story of what actually happened, because we kind of left folks hanging. You are now at this point out of your body. You see your crumpled body lying there in the corral, 
and you had this sense of peace that this was exactly as it was meant to be and your body was not like a ghost translucent but more like the form you have with a glow around it so why don't you pick up from there and tell us where did you go and what happened next well the next thing that happened was i noticed how heightened all my senses were i could see things so much clearer Everything was, it was almost as if my body had been wrapped in cotton batting. All my senses were heightened. I could hear every single sound. And it wasn't as if it was chaos. It was very, um, very just beautifully balanced. And my vision was better. My sense of smell was better. My sense of physicality, I mean, the feeling of of the wind and the the breezes and it was just so much more heightened. And then I looked down and I saw the, the last two rides coming in. And they and I felt such love and nostalgia. But as they came in the corral and shut the gate, like I knew they would, all of a sudden where I was standing began to kind of fade out. And overlapping that, another world or dimension or whatever, um, began to come into focus. And I was in a forest, a very thick, old kind of oak forest, not a pine forest. And I was filled with such love. And I could feel everything that was look, that I was looking at was radiating this immense love that I could feel. It was a very strong level of selflessness and the only way I can explain it because it's so difficult to explain how it's almost like tangible like you're walking through cotton candy Um, because if you've ever given someone a present and they open it and they look you right in the eye and they're like oh and they're so happy and you just feel that little tickle in your heart you know because you know you just gave them exactly what they want um, that's kind of that selflessness, but it was head to toe. And everything, the forest, everything seemed to be lit from within. And I touched a couple of things because I was wondering if they were just like a, a light image, like a hologram, and they weren't. They were physical. They moved when I touched them. I moved them aside. And the next thing I realized was I had no fear. I had no idea where I was. I had no idea who I was um, other than me, but I didn't know, am I in another place? Do I have a name here? All the things I had no idea, and yet I never felt any fear or awkwardness. Um, It's like everything in that fight-or-flight reflex had been left behind on Earth, and the only thing I had is that I could resonate with feelings was the amount of love that humans, all the best part of humanity, the love, the joy, the, the, the feeling of happiness was magnified and the fear was gone, just totally gone. And I also felt a little groggy because I think I was adjusting to a different vibration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I came to think of, I think in the transition, I was wondering, is this always around us, but on a different wavelength that we just don't hear or sense? Because I know that there are um, infrasonic and ultrasonic energy waves, and uh, we can't hear them or see them with the light spectrum. There's also many more colors that we have within our little tiny narrow band of colors we can see. Um Everything was very, very saturated. You know how people always talk about Ireland as being, you know, the greens of Ireland as being heavenly? And it is because everything is so richly colored and saturated that when I was in northern Scotland, I also had that same experience in the forest where everything is just so green. It's so intensely green. And it reminded me very much of, of heaven. And I was in a forest on a river, which is funny because that's what I'm always drawn to is forests and rivers and mountains rather than beaches or 
jungles or savannas or whatever. Everybody, um, there's lots of different places, but I've always been a forest and rivers girl, you know, and here I am in heaven. And it's a beautiful forest with this nice, you know, small river going through it. It's just amazing. Yes, and and one of the things that stood out to me is that with a lot of, well, from reading your book, and you go into this in great detail through your conversations with the the light beings in your soul group, um, both while you were in the upstairs realm, as well as some dreams that you had after you returned from your NDE and fully physically recovered over the course of several years, but that it sounded like for older souls, you came back to your soul group, whereas younger souls who haven't gone back and forth as much, they may actually see family members that they recognize, or it's kind of like a soft landing is created for them that they recognize when they cross over. But for you, you immediately encountered your soul group, um, which was really interesting, all seated around a table, and they basically uh, kind of uh, reacclimated you to being back in the upstairs. Um, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I think the reason that that happened especially was two things. First of all, I had to make a decision. Um, most of the people that have a near-death experience where they go into a totally different realm are told you have to go back or they just wind up being popping back in their body mm -hmm. without any warning. And I actually was given a choice. There's a few, several people who have also been given choices. Mm -hmm. And I was one of them. And so what happened was um, we had to discuss it. And I kind of always felt that there was something else right beyond that I couldn't see. And um, they said that's because you're not completely here. The second thing is this. Um, when I asked what I do if I come back here, we went off into that discussion of the blindfolded bodhisattvas. That was what my group was placing. And in, that, in those conditions... Um, the blindfolded bodhisattvas are going to be put into families that they've had very little historical contact with, maybe one person or two, but that um, it's like then you go back to your soul group, which is who you've evolved with. But the other thing about the soul group is this. If you think of it like a job, and you go to your job and you are working in a hospital, let's say, and you're a nurse, and then you come home, you've got your family, you've got your friends outside of work. And so my soul group seemed to be who I worked with and grew with, and we were students to some levels and we were teachers to others. But there's so many people in that realm that I was in. This was just one little facet of the jobs up there. So this soul group of mine was my work. They were my work buddies. Ah, yeah. And it, it was interesting. You also said that, you know, I think as humans, we think all the work, all the learning is done while we're down here on earth. But oh, no. you, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I really took away from your book was that in the conversations you had with your soul group, it's really all of the debriefing, the processing, the integrating that is done in the heavenly realm, in the upstairs that's where our real soul learning comes. We just have the experience down here and then we go back up between lives and, and get to really deeply learn the lessons that we practice down here. Well, the funny thing is, is that learning upstairs brings an inordinate amount of joy. Yeah. So because everything, if, if someone said to me, many, I've had many questions, they go, what is the one word you could say about heaven? I said, growth. It's all about growing and bettering yourself. And that's, that's enormously delightful. It's as delightful as taking a vacation in northern Scotland for two weeks and tromping around hiking. I mean, yeah. whatever your ideal vacation is, the joy and happiness and relaxation and 
that you look forward to your days off from work or your vacations. That's how learning is approached. It's not um, tedious. It's because the soul, I mean, if you could just think of, you know, like those little videos, documentaries you see where you see roots growing or, you know, water saturating a desert as it's kind of trickling in, and that immense openness that happens and joy when this growth occurs, when we've learned something. And so that's what a lot of upstairs is learning. And then we come down here to better learn what we need to fill in. It's like, oops, I think I took it incomplete in that lesson. I'm going to go back up. The soul has a very different um, perception of living than the human body does, thank goodness, because the human body wants to stay here. Right. You know, and the soul is kind of a little more detached. Yeah. And the, the other thing that really stood out to me is that with all this joyous learning and, and, uh, growth that the soul is doing, it is all done in this just beautiful, um, environment of unconditional love. And I have, I have for the past, I don't know as well, actually, as long as I can remember on my spiritual journey, I have always called, or the word that I use the most for God is the divine. And I yeah. loved that you said for you, when you encountered, and I have a beautiful quote here that I'd love to read from the book, but that God did not feel like a he or a she or an it, it was just the divine. And you write the divine knew me, every particle and every quark of me was revealed and laid bare. I tingled with delight. I loved the divine, but what startled me was the level of love I received. I adored the divine and the divine adored me. Adored. I stood thunderstruck in complete awe. Adored by the divine. The love coursed through me, aligning every single bit of me into accepting this as perfectly reasonable. I did not have to work for it. I deserved it just for being. No action needed. Me. Adored for being a collection of energy sparks with a personality. I mean, I just, I've read that and it brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> oh, that's, thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah, that was astonishing. You know, that I could be so known and so adored by God as I am. And it's interesting how we've learned in the world of psychology that the spare the rod, spoil the child <laughs> yeah. is not bringing out the best in people but rather um, the this, this thought used to be if they come home with all A's and a B, you have to yell at them for the B, otherwise they'll come home with all C's and a D. And they're realizing now that if they encourage them with love and pride of, of accomplishment, then the, the, the children are more motivated to work harder rather than the fear of pain or punishment does not motivate. It shuts you down, you know. It's basically love or fear. Those are the core reflexes in every human being. Yes, and I... Fear is from the human, and the love is from the immortal soul, the selfless love. Exactly, and you you really articulated it so beautifully in the book. Um, I think for so many millennia, even still today, um, there is this idea that at that there is a wrathful God, even maybe there are certain things that have happened that have made God less wrathful or less or more accepting of us and loving of us. But at the heart of it, that, you know, really God is not just this eternal divine love that you, um, that you articulate so well in your book. And I just love the, <laughs> the model of God you experienced and you talk about is the one that I have thankfully found in the last few years. <laughs> Beautiful. It, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just so much um, that we don't understand, and there's so much shame that we have about mistakes we make. But if we honor, if we actually recognize it's a mistake, that's like half the battle. See people who are incredibly cruel and have no idea that they're doing something wrong. You know, and that's, that's astonishing. Most people are very, very good. But there are a few that are very selfish, and that's a younger soul, very, very selfish. Older souls become more selfless. Mm -hmm. And um, these older souls that come down on the earth, those blindfolded bodhisattvas I was talking about, they have a lot of trouble because they are selfless to a fault, 
and they have to learn how to have boundaries. They have to learn how to sort the people in their lives so that they can give the unconditional love, but without vulnerability. I mean, unconditional love makes us take a serial killer and put them in prison for their life instead of torturing them to death like they would have done in ancient Rome. But unconditional love, you wouldn't take that serial killer out for the weekend on his birthday. (laughs) Take him home with you, you know. There's a, a level of vulnerability there. So for unconditional love, in my opinion, and don't forget, I'm still a Cubs fan. Um, <laughs> in, uh, I, unconditional love does not include the word vulnerability, especially physical, financial, or emotional vulnerability. You can't be vulnerable to dysfunctional people, but you can unconditionally love them and even do your duty back to them. If it's a family member and they need help, you can do your duty, but you're not vulnerable. their opinions of you right yeah and and um, while we're talking about the the this idea of um well being on this journey some of us feeling particularly as you talk about in your book the blindfolded bodhisattvas the 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 souls that come down into families that are younger souls that don't recognize who they are the the souls themselves don't uh, immediately remember who they are and their connection to the divine. So, but in, and I think also it's particularly timely whether or not, well, it's particularly timely because so many people right now are feeling so alone. Um, and many are literally alone as we stay at home, stay in place. But one of the jobs that you talk about having in your soul group was being a light being that is in the upstairs, in the heavenly realm, looking down on earth and actually focusing love and support on individual souls that really need it. Because a lot of near-death experiencers that I've talked to, one of the main themes that comes out of their experience is that we are never alone as humans, even if we feel like it. But you gave such a rich description of what's actually going on can you say a little bit more about that? Like if we're feeling alone, maybe there is a light being in the upper realms, just focusing love and support on us that we can know it's there. Absolutely. Every human being on the planet has at least one or two, most of the time, two different guides or guardian angels, whatever. Every religion has a different name for them, but they are the same and they're with you every minute of every day and all you have to do is you have to still the mind and be open to receive um the great the great um uh information or that feeling of of sometimes you just but you have to kind of let go of this i'm not worthy program that's been programmed into our subliminal programs from a lot of different sources um, and we have to, you know, still the mind, take a breath, begin to open and allow that knowledge of their presence to be in, to be, you know, sometimes when I get a little knocked around, I just sit down and I just imagine that they're sitting around me with their arms around me. And yeah. you can actually get that sense of peace. And again, me being the scientific psychology mind, that's not the same as um, the placebo effect because you actually can feel it. And this is what I also tell my my little gang of buddies up there. I go, when you want to give me a message, you know how dense I am in this human body. You better kick it into high gear and really let me give me a very strong sign within 24 hours, you know, because remember how dense I am. And I have gotten such blatant signs that you, I mean, it's almost comical how they give me, like, I come out of my house and there's this red tail hawk, perfect tail feather. I have a 10-foot porch and it's on the very step of my door, perfectly aligned, you know. And then I go to work and I'm going to my office and there's, I come right up to my door at my office and right before I get to that little um, place, there's another red tail hawk, perfectly placed tail feather, you know, and I still have them both. I'm like, okay, I got it, you know. Yes. I mean, 
Sometimes I go dense, you think, hey, I'm never mind, take that back. You know, I'm dense. So if you ask them to give you a sign and and really give you and let you and just be patient and just wait. It might take you a day or two to get tuned into that channel of on your radio. Yeah. But when you do, you always get that ability to take a breath. And the other thing is this. Every human being has an immortal soul within them. You also have the human body, which is fear-based, because it needs to survive, and you don't want to go pet a rattlesnake. Right. And the heart and the soul is in the love. So when you have get riddled with fear, just stop, stop it and say, wait. That's not me. I'm love. You are love. Even if you're alone, you're love. And one of the things that in my journey and what I teach is how to fall in love with yourself. I just had a nice email from a girl that just popped, and it just makes me cry when you get another email like that saying, I got it, I got it, I got it. And it's just so simple. But you have to love yourself first. And then you have to, I mean, with all your quirks and faults, it doesn't mean you don't deserve love. That's that obsession with perfectionism. It doesn't exist. If if there's perfection, there'll be no more growth. You know, and think about it. If you were perfect, you'd have nothing left to learn. I can't imagine anything more horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, because in in this world, learning is fun. Learning is joy. Yeah. 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 Well, I I have to ask, I know we're getting close to the end of the hour. And so my mom, um, who does listen to the show, um, and identifies as Christian often asks, um, when we used to do call-ins for the show, some of the near death experiencers, she was always curious if they saw Jesus and not every guest of a few, I think a few have, but I'd always kind of believed, or at least I'd heard that when you have a near death experience that often figures that you already connected with from either your religion or your belief system, your values, that's who's going to show up. But you said that you identified as atheist and yet you encountered Jesus when you were at the beginning of your near-death experience. Do you, we've got a couple minutes, but do you mind speaking to that? Well, um, it surprised me because I had turned so far against organized religion Mm -hmm. and, um, not that I didn't think Jesus existed. I just wasn't interested in uh, some of the fanaticism about different religious pathways. Right. And anything that excluded others, you know, from the path. Because I, I just couldn't believe in a God if that was right, you know. that. And when I experienced him, it was very natural. It was overwhelmingly beautiful. I knew immediately who he was. I didn't have to have a name. And he was so loving. And we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about self-forgiveness. And then he anointed all my chakras with this sandalwood and rose. It smelled like sandalwood and rose, little creamy stuff, and put it on all my chakras and told me to rest that I had done an amazing amount of work and that to rest. You know, Mm -hmm. this is before I had decided to go back or not. So that was my experience with him. But I also saw Saraswati, who is the goddess of knowledge, you know, in the house of knowledge. So I had had no idea. When I came back, I was like a muddle. Everything (laughs) makes perfect sense up there. When I came back, I went, okay, what just happened, you know? Well, between, and you write about this in the book, that there was a wonderful gentleman named Leslie, of course, very serendipitously same named, who helped you really pull forth and and put these details in this beautiful book that we've been talking about today. Remember, every breath is precious. That is the book. My guest today was Leslie Joan Lupo. You can find out more at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, LeslieJoanLupo.com. And yeah, that what we've talked about today, I just have to tell you folks, is only the tip of the iceberg. And it's really beautifully laid out in the book. Um, I learned a lot that I had never heard before, and it resonated deeply of truth for me. So Leslie, thank you for being my guest today and, and sharing more of your story with our audience. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And hey, thanks, Benny, for running the board. Um, and to everyone out there, stay safe, stay well, and uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>